Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So again, the Olympics have kicked off. I don't know if you watched anything this weekend or not. I watched a little bit off and on uh, yesterday, and that's going to be on all day today, I'm sure, too. So... We are starting a three-week series that's going to theme with the Olympics. We're going to start a series called The Games. So here's the idea behind this series with the Olympics in full swing. Faith is a lot like an athletic competition or an athletic event. We'll see that as we get started here in, in Scripture. It's in the Bible. This comparison, this analogy is in Scripture, and we'll look at that over the next three weeks. We're going to run this Uh, this kind of long-running analogy through and look at three different aspects of how our faith is like an athletic competition and what that means. And so today we're going to start this series by talking about training. So for an athletic event, training is going to be very important. The thousands and thousands of hours that the Olympians have put into training for one event is incredible. The years of dedication Uh, and sacrifice that these people put in for this one event, this one thing that they're doing, uh, is is incredible. And and training is a big part of that. It's a big part of success. It's important for success. It builds strength. It builds endurance. It builds skill. And so it also is working toward an ultimate goal. Like they want to receive the medal at the end. They want to be the Olympic champion, or at least a silver medalist or bronze medalist, right? So this idea of training being useful is also very true spiritually. In fact, we're going to look at today. Let's start at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at a lot of what Paul says. He uses this analogy quite often in his writing. So 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, Paul says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? They didn't have, he wasn't talking about the Olympics, obviously, in this situation. But he says this, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul says we have to run to win. He says run to win, but that requires training. He uses it two times in this scripture. So in sports and in spirituality, we have to train correctly for the training to really be effective. For the training to be beneficial, here's the thing. We have to have a plan and a goal. That's that's true with anything, with sports, with life, with business, with a plan, with anything. Spiritually, it's true as well. We have to have a plan and a goal. So today we'll look at two things, just two ideas. First of all, we'll look at 
how we train spiritually, and then why we train. And we'll spend probably 90% of our time on the first part, how to train. And then we'll look at briefly at the end why we train. We'll look at proper training and then the purpose of our training. That will help to keep us motivated in this thing called life, in our spiritual walk, in our faith journey. And it will also help us to track progress along the way. As we look at proper training and the purpose of training, how we train and why we train, that will help in this spiritual journey. So, spiritual training has a specific uh, description that I want to look at for a little bit today. Uh, it has a description and a name. We're going to give it, okay? So, we're going to go to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, uh, which I always call your Bible plan reader killer. Okay? The first couple books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, we get through those pretty quickly, pretty easily. Great stories, a lot of drama. And we get to Leviticus, and we're like, ah, oh, well, I enjoyed reading my Bible for the last 30 days. Now I'm finished with that, right? So we're looking at Leviticus, but maybe even something that we say today will help us to change the way we see Leviticus too. That's not the point. Maybe it's a secondary thing. Leviticus 19. So here's a description of spiritual training. Leviticus 19, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That is where we're going to start out about our description of spiritual training. God's saying, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, this process of spiritual training also has a distinct title or name that we're going to give it. And it's this long, fancy, churchy word called sanctification. What God is describing here in Leviticus 19, what we're going to talk about today in spiritual training, is this word sanctification. The, the, the definition of this word is simply the process of becoming holy. That's what sanctification means. That's what it is. A, a, an easier term to wrap our heads around is just simply spiritual growth. Sanctification is just spiritual growth. So when God says in Leviticus 19, he says, be holy, for I am holy, that seems difficult. And it probably seems nearly impossible. Okay, well, God, you, you're holy, obviously, you're God, you know? Why are you putting this pressure on me to be like that when I can't? Why are you telling me that I, you have this expectation of me uh, that I clearly can't live up to. What, what's the deal? Where's the disconnect? What am I missing? So it seems difficult, it seems impossible, but is it? That's what we'll look at today about spiritual training. So again, the first thing that we'll spend most of our time on is, is we're going to look at how to train. How this idea of sanctification works. How this idea of spiritual growth and maturity works. How to train. And like with any training, especially in sports, the proper mindset is key. The proper approach is important. It's everything. And that's why sports psychology in the last 10, 20 years has become a booming thing. Because athletes have understood, okay, how I approach everything in this sport is going to affect my outcome, the outcome in some way. How I approach the ball at the tee box when I play golf is going to matter how I hit that shot. I have to get my mind right when I'm ready to shoot an important free throw at a basketball game so I get the best result I can. So the right approach and the right mindset is crucial. 
And it's also crucial in our spiritual training. How we view Leviticus 19, 1 and 2 is important. How we view training, how we view spiritual growth, how we view sanctification is so important. And there's two approaches that we can have. Here's the, here's the dilemma here. There's two ways that we can view this spiritual training. And it's this. We can either try or we can train. So the choice that we have in our spiritual journey is trying or training. Trying or training. Now, we can take this very practically, and I'll ask my lovely wife because she knows. You can probably just try to run a marathon, right? You could try to do that. Sure. But wouldn't it be much more helpful if you trained for said marathon? Yes, right? You could show up in October to the Kansas City Marathon, and you can try to run 26.2 miles. You can just show up and try to do that. It will not work, okay? If you make it to the end, you will die at the finish line, all right? You will not be able to walk for weeks you know, after that. Or you can train and run and build strength and build endurance and work through all of those things and get sore along the way so when the time comes to get to the starting line in October, you're ready to go. You can try to run a marathon or you can train for a marathon. I think we know which option is best. It's like flying a plane. You can jump in the cockpit and try to fly a plane. And se one of, several things could happen, right? Nothing could happen because you, what are all these buttons for? What are all these levers for? What are all these switches for? I have no idea what I'm doing. That where's the gas pedal? It's, it's not how that works, okay? Or if you actually hit buttons, you're going to injure or kill people. <laughs> that's, the, that's one of the other options. Either yourself or everyone on board or someone outside the plane. So you can try to fly a plane, or you could train on how to fly a plane, okay? But those are two options that we have. Even something as simple as like a piano recital. You could just show up to a piano recital and just try to play this classical piece of music, and you might think, well, I don't read music. Right, right, that's the idea, that's the whole point. So we, you can either try or you can train. You can practice and practice and practice, and learn music, and learn how to play, and get better and better, and devote your time and yourself to this endeavor, um, or you can just show up and make a fool of yourself. Okay? But those are the options that we have. It's the same thing spiritually. We can try to attain holiness, to work on sanctification, or we can train. Those are the options that we have. Now, there's a couple of different sets of words that we will look at to explain this in a couple different ways. So how this looks spiritually is trying is works. Training is grace. Hmm. Works versus grace. Trying versus training. Now, we already know that we want training. That's the best option. With the other examples that we've used, we've seen a common theme here. Trying will get you nowhere. Training will get you where you want to go. So we can... But here's the problem with that, as we'll see. The problem with this is, sometimes when we think about works in our faith, that sounds right, doesn't it? Like, that sounds correct. That sounds like it makes sense. Maybe that's how we view faith, or that's how we were brought up in our faith, or that's how we had just lived it out. It's about works. We're trying if we're doing that. So here's, here's another letter from Paul Philippians. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he gives us this same option. We don't maybe see it, but it's there. He says this, Therefore, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So see, the Bible says, work out your salvation. It's right there. So that's the trying part, right? Why are you saying we shouldn't try if that's what Paul's saying we should do? He's saying we work out our salvation. Faith equals work. Salvation equals works. I have to earn it. I have to get there. I have to make it happen. That's actually not what he's saying there. So you'll see there's... He says the word work three times, but the first one and the last two are different words. In the actual Greek, they're different words with different definitions, different ideas all together. Okay? So let's look at this again. First, he says, work out your own salvation. Now, in the Greek, it's this idea of something having a natural effect or byproduct. So it naturally happens. I don't have to force it to happen. I don't have to will it to happen. It just happens. It's a natural effect or byproduct of something happening. So what Paul's saying here, when he says work out your own salvation, he's not saying that we produce our faith. Okay? He's saying that our faith produces something. Naturally. As we just live our life of faith before God, before others, it does the work. It produces something. Not that we work to produce it, but that our faith actually produces something. It's a natural effect or byproduct. And the second way he uses work in this, in this verse, he says, it is God who works in you. Now, you can read that in English, and you see there's, there's a difference right there automatically. But even in, in the original Greek, this word works is a first-person possessive word. So what is happening here is, this word work is the idea of I work or I accomplish. However, it's talking about not us, but God. So the second idea of work is God is doing the work. He is accomplishing the work. He's turning the gears. He's moving the motors. He's pulling the levers. He's doing everything. All of the work is God doing it. So there's a difference here. God does the work, Paul says, in us that then produces through our faith things that work. That's what Paul's saying. Not that I work hard so that God is pleased. No, it's that God is doing work in me so that the byproduct of my faith in him produces things for others to see and, be, and see the benefit of. That's what he's saying here in Philippians 2. But too often, I think we feel like we have to do the work spiritually. What we do is we take, make our faith just performance-based stuff. We make it like getting a grade in school. We make it like this chore chart on a refrigerator at our house that I check the boxes to get the prize. It's not what God is saying in Philippians 2 or in Leviticus 19, which we'll come back to in a minute. It's not, faith is not about our effort. It's just not. That's not our job. That's not our responsibility. And really, frankly, that's too much pressure. So that's, that's one way in which we read Leviticus 19. That's one way in which we can view faith. It's pressure. It's a lot of work. I don't think I can, I don't think I can make that happen. And we can't, because that's not the idea. That's not what God's saying. So let me just say it this way. Maybe it'll stick a little bit easier. Here's the idea. Faith only works when we allow God to do the work. Faith only works when we allow God to do the work. Think about it. If I'm trying to produce works, that's not faith. It's, those are two different things. That is not an equal definition. Me trying to do works does not equal faith.
faith. It's a different thing altogether. And when we do that, what we're trying to do, really, at the core, is we're trying to control everything. I have to work to do get this outcome. Well, we aren't in control of much of anything, so how do we know that's going to happen, right? Usually we spin our wheels and get frustrated and angry and disappointed and guilty when we try instead of train. So when I try to do the work, when I try to control everything, that is not a definition of faith. That does not compute. It is not the same thing. Spiritual training is about grace, not works. Again, Paul here writing to Titus, another young minister, in his letter to Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul makes it very clear. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Okay? Training, even the word is in this verse too, training requires grace not works. And I mentioned this a little bit Wednesday night on Facebook, uh, on our Facebook Live, this dichotomy here that we see from works and grace, trying and training. Works is about perfection. Grace is about progression. Again, go back to this word, sanctification. What does that mean? The process of becoming holy. Progression. Now, there is a goal that we will get to, but the goal, get, catch this, is not perfection. Honestly, that's not why we're training. That is not the answer to the second part that we'll get to in a minute. That's not the goal. Perfection is not the goal. Works is not the way to get to where we're going. Works equals perfection. Grace equals progression. And I think the reason that we think this is because we believe a saying that is not true. The saying is, practice makes perfect. That is not true. It's just not. Let me give you some examples of that. So the all, let me give you some sports analogies. So if you're not a sports person, just listen anyway. It's good. Uh, <laughs> the, high, the greatest three-point shooter percentage-wise of all time is Steve Kerr. So he has the highest percentage of three-point shots made in a career. So for his career, he made 45.4% of his three-point shots. Stephen Curry is probably the greatest, he will become the greatest, he's the greatest right now. His career three-point shooting percentage is 43.3%. So the greatest shooters of all time miss over half their shots, and they're the best at it. They're professionals who have trained for years and years, day after day, and we celebrate them, they are Hall of Famers, and they miss more than half their shots. Let me give you a football analogy. Drew Brees, quarterback, just retired. He has the highest completion percentage of a quarterback in NFL history. It's an amazing number to think about this. So for his career, he completed 67.7% of his passes. It's an amazing number. However, that means one out of every three passes didn't get caught. And he's one of the greatest to ever do it. He practiced day after day for year after year, played 20 years as a professional football player, and he only got two-thirds of his balls caught. I mean, that's just a crazy thing to think about. Even baseball is even weirder than that. So the all-time highest batting average for a baseball player is Ty Cobb. He batted 366. So the greatest to ever hit the ball got out two out of every three times he came to the plate. And he's the best to ever do it. 
He's a professional. He practiced for years. He played for years. He's, the, again, the, one of the greatest to ever play the sport. And we celebrate him for failing two-thirds of the time. It's an amazing thing to consider. So practice does not make perfect. If perfection is the goal, you need to find the correct goal. It's progression, not perfection. Let me just mention this quickly, though. What I don't want to convey, and I, I, I hope I'm not, but I want to make sure I'm not. When we talk about grace and not reaching perfection, that does not mean that we have this blanket license to then live however we wish. Okay? Paul makes that clear in his letters. Does, this mean, does grace mean I can just live however I want and sin however I want and do it? He's like, that's not what this is meaning at all. But what grace does mean, grace is an acknowledgement, an understanding that I am not God. That's what grace is. So we'll get, when we get back to Leviticus in a second, that will hopefully come full circle. But before we do that, let me get to a second set of words that is another way to think about trying versus training in our spiritual journey. So the second, so first we had works and grace. Here's the second set of words to think about in these terms, trying versus training. We can either think of our life of faith as obligation or as opportunity. Obligation or opportunity. So, with spiritual training, there are three practical tools that we're all probably very aware of, but we're going to look at these through this lens just for a minute. So the three practical training tools that we can use in our faith journey is church, scripture, and prayer. I mean, I'm not saying anything that you guys haven't heard before, right? But let's look at these through these two lenses and see how, again, we talked about approach changes everything, mindset changes everything. Let's look at these three practical growth tools in each lens and see which one may seem more appealing and more helpful in our training. So let's look at this idea of church. I think sometimes, maybe many times, we're like, oh, it's Sunday again. Guess what I have to do for an hour today? Yeah, i got to come to go to church. Oh, man, I really don't want to do that. Can I just be honest with you? I have Sundays like that. I know you may think, oh, my goodness, it's true, right? Because I don't, ha I have to be here. And like literally, you know, it's part of the gig, you know. So there, there are just some days, some Sundays that are just more difficult than others. Like, oh boy, you know, this bed feels really warm on this cold February morning. I would love to stay here, but guess what? I got stuff to do. Got places to be. It happens to everyone, okay? But if that's our attitude on a regular basis, then what we're doing when we get up and go, we are trying, not training. We're seeing it through a lens of, I'm doing the thing because God expects it. They're going to make me feel bad if I don't go. And I'm going to feel guilty. Yeah, that's, that's, one way, that's one way to view church. The other way would be then to say, I don't, it's not that I have to go, but that I get to go. Right? That I get to worship God with other people of faith. Now, again, this is not every weekend. This is not every Sunday. So, again, perfection Batting a 1,000 is not the goal here. That's not what we're talking about. But it is a mindset difference. I get to worship God with other people. I get to be encouraged by God's Word. I get to be challenged. I get to enter into whatever God has for me to get ready for whatever is coming in the week ahead. It's a different way of viewing the same thing. And one way is trying, checking boxes, and living in undue pressure and guilt and expectation. And one view is freeing. It's edifying. It's helpful. How about the Bible? This is a good one, too. We do the same thing with the Bible. Well, I haven't read my Bible for a while. Probably should get around to that. Like, let me just open it up and just see. Maybe you've done that before. It's kind of fun sometimes to do that, you know. There is a story. 
You know, you just open your Bible and read whatever's there. There's a story of a guy who tried that one time. He just opened his Bible, and the scripture said, and Judas went and hanged himself and just closed the Bible. It's like, that's not very encouraging. He's <laughs> like, let me try that again. He opens the Bible again and says, go thou and do likewise. He's like, whoa! You know? So I don't necessarily recommend maybe just open it, you know, maybe have a plan, maybe have purpose to it, you know, that sort of, read a book from beginning to end, or, you know, get a Bible plan from online, or get a yearly Bible, whatever you got to do, right? But a lot of times we'll treat Bible reading like a chore. Oh, man, got to do that Bible thing again, you know, it's like, hmm, I'm just not getting anything out of this, that's what maybe we think. Let me give you uh, some scriptures. I'm just going to read these quickly. So if you, I have a list here. So if you want these, you can, I'll get them to you. These are all verses from Psalm 119. So it's the longest book in the Bible. It's 176 verses long, written by David, I believe. And it's all about God's word. The whole thing is broken up in, in these sections, one section for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it's all about God's word. So we can think about, oh, the Bible's a chore, it's a thing I don't want to do, I despise doing it, I don't get any value from it. We can try, or we can train. Here's a different way to view the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You hide things that you value. You protect things that you value. Verses 31 and 32. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Cling and pursue shows value. Expand my understanding shows I see the value that I can get through your word. Verse 35, make me walk along the paths of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Verse 40, I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. So he's equating commands with goodness. We don't usually equate those two things is the same, but the psalmist here does. Verse 45, I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Verse 114, you are my refuge and my shield. My wor your word is my source of hope. And then Psalm 119, verse 129, your laws are wonderful. No wonder I obey them. When's the last time you talked about the Bible that way? Right? When's the last time that we saw the, the real value in God's word? We pursue his word. We love his word. We long for his word. We, can't, we cling to it, right? We get, can't get enough of it. That's, that's the best way, the better way to view God's word through this training. That we, we value it and we see the value in it. How about prayer? This is a big one too. You know, a lot of times we'll think, well, I haven't prayed for a while. I guess I should get around to that, you know. Whoopsie. Uh, or we'll just say, you know what, just hurry and get it done. Get it in so you can check it off the thing to do list. I got other things to do. Let's just get get get, get over it, right? Or you feel really bad. Man, when's the last time I really, like, really prayed? You know? Like, not God, thank you for this hot pocket. Amen, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, when's the last time that I really set aside even 10 minutes and just prayed? Or set aside maybe 10 minutes to pray and a few minutes to then wait on God and see if he says anything bad, right? So when we don't, we feel like I haven't done it enough or I don't do it long enough or I don't do it at all, we just feel guilt. We feel pressure because we're trying instead of training. We see it as an obligation instead of as an opportunity. When instead we should think, I get to talk to God. Yeah. Prayer is pretty cool. It's pretty powerful. 
first of all, that God even wants to talk to me, that he even wants to hear from me, that he cares what I have to say, that he cares about how I feel, that he cares about what's going on, that's pretty amazing. It's opportunity instead of obligation. Opportunity instead of obligation. Let me give you a practical, another practical analogy with this. I'm going to use Kim again. I owe Kim big time for this. Wow. <laughs> Here's the analogy. So let's say it's our anniversary, right? If I'm living under obligation, I will go and just get the cheapest flowers I can find because it's our anniversary, right? And I will just, you know, give them to her and say, here you go, it's our anniversary. I had to get you something because it's our anniversary. So here. Okay? That's obligation. Or I can see that as an opportunity. I can, you know, like take the time to find the best flowers there and I can get the kind that she likes and all that sort of thing. And then I bring it to her and I say, you know what, honey, I, this isn't much. I know that, but I love you so much. And you, your beauty just can't even compare, you know, these flowers pale and have this thing right now, you know, just whatever, right? That's opportunity. Now, how many of you know that those two mindsets will get different results? One will get the glare of death, and the other will get PG-13. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Wait, wait, PG, PG, okay. Okay, so G, it's fine, it's whatever. But do you see how the approach is different and it gets different results? It's the same with spiritual training. If I approach these things that I have to do, I'm obligated by God, you know, I gotta put the work in, I gotta do the things that God expects, I'm not gonna get much out of this. I'm not going to enjoy my spiritual journey. I'm not gonna do well at spiritual growth because I always feel like I'm behind. I always feel like I need to catch up or do more or perform or measure up and all this pressure and expectation. Or I can see these things as an opportunity. I get to spend time with God, spend time with other people of faith. I get to enter into what God has to say through his word, learn, grow, flourish. I get to spend time with him in prayer and maybe hear something back, like maybe get a sense or a feeling about direction that I'm praying about. Different mindset, different results. We can either work we can, or we can live under grace. We can see it as obligation or opportunity because we can either try or we can try. That's the difference. Let's read Leviticus 19 again real quick in this mindset, and then we'll get quickly to why we train. I promise we will. the second part is not the second half. It's the closing bit. All right. So Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, with this in our mind, this dichotomy, let's look at these verses again. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So based upon one of these two views, we read this verse one of two ways. If we are looking through the lens of trying through works and obligation, we're going to put emphasis on the word shall in this verse. Let me do that for us. So God says this, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That sounds like a threat to me. I don't know about you. When I say it that way, you shall be holy. Okay? Now, it is a command, but I don't want to take that whole part of that away. But there is a different way to read that, and I think may be more helpful and more what God has in mind. If we view this through the lens of training, through grace and opportunity, we put the emphasis on the word you, and it changes everything. So let's read that again. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
That's different than you shall be holy, okay? Let me tell you why. Because when the emphasis is on shall, again, it becomes obligation, it becomes pressure, it becomes a job, a chore, it becomes work. When we put the emphasis on you, it's like, what do you mean I can be holy? I can't be holy. That's what we've been talking about. Well, no, that's the beauty of what God's saying. So actually, let's flip this verse, the first half to the back and the back to the front, and see if we can see it differently. So it says, I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy. So what God is saying here is, you on your own effort cannot be holy. You trying to be holy will not accomplish the goal of perfection. But because I, the Lord your God, am holy, you shall be holy. So you'd say, well, no, I shan't, I can't be holy, right? You don't think you can be holy? It's okay because God is holy. You don't think you have the willpower to be holy? That's okay, God has all power to make you holy. You don't think you have, you, you think you have to work to be holy? No, God does the work that makes us holy, that has that byproduct we talked about earlier. You think that holiness is an impossible task? Good news, God is the God of the impossible. So we can view this as a threat, you shall be holy, dot or else, dot, dot, dot. Or we can say, what you could never accomplish in a million lifetimes, with the best work you could ever do, checking every box, doing every chore, you will never be holy. But, because I, the Lord your God, am holy, you shall be holy. I've done the work, I've got the power, you can do it. You can work through this process of sanctification, the process of becoming holy, the spiritual training can have effect. So if we can view our spiritual training in this way, I think it can change everything about how we live our spiritual life. Let's look as we close briefly a couple scriptures about why we train. Now this is good, but again, I'm just going to really breeze through this as we close today. Here's why we train. Two scriptures. First, we're going back to Titus. We already were there earlier. Let's, let's finish up this section. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Paul says that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that's the work, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, some of the final words Paul ever wrote, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So, why do we train? Well, we live this life of faith for Christ now, to then live with Christ forever in the life that is yet to come. That's the purpose. And there are some other, uh, like C.S. Lewis in some of his writings, he gives these allusions, especially um, in The Great Divorce. He talks about heaven and hell, mainly heaven. And the thing that he makes very clear, that I think this jumps out to me even more, is basically like sinful people can't handle heaven. They can't. The ground is like ragged on their, jagged on their feet, and they can't even do it. Everything is so heavy. It's like, it's, you know, it's, you're just so weighed down. Our, us in our unrighteousness couldn't handle, even if we were allowed in, we couldn't handle the majesty and glory of heaven. So we train now to prepare us for that prize, that final goal that beats all the gold medals, that beats all the awards, all the plaques, all the trophies in any sport, in any competition, this is why we train. 
And it comes down to this. It's recognition by Jesus and then eternity with Jesus. So one of the greatest, some of the greatest, well, okay, the greatest words you will ever hear in your entire existence is, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That's what we're doing this training for, is to hear from the Creator Himself that we did it. Not by our own effort, right? But through the training, through our life of faith, through the spiritual growth, through longing to be more like Him so that we will then be with Him. That is why we train. And then quickly, let me mention this too, though. Here's what I don't want us to do with this. This is not like a head in the clouds, pie in the sky kind of thing. It's not we're going to look to the east for the coming of Christ all the time and not be any earthly good here and now. Our training should have effect in this life for others. Like our training, like we should be so ripped spiritually, right, in our training, that people are like, how did you do that? And, you know, I want in on that. How do you have peace in the midst of what you're going through? I need that. How do you have such security despite all around you crumbling? How do you have faith to believe that God is in control when it seems like everything is out of control? As we train, others are like, hey, I need that training plan. I, I need to learn more about what you got going on because I need, that's the goal here and now, is to get others on this training process, to grow the team. To build, to build Team Jesus, right? So that as we train, others can be a part of that reward with us too. So the encouragement is, let's grow strong so that we can finish well and ultimately receive our great reward. That is how we train and why we train.